1: Going on, everybody. Here, Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, September seventh, is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare Illinois Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. I feel like I'm doing Obama right now.
2: Yeah, you are, and he's he's in the White House right now. Did you know that
1: I am in the White House now, Joe? Uh, Joe, go to the bathroom or something. (laughs) My God, Joe's
2: like I'm the I'm the president now. Yeah, but when I see you, just my little vice
1: president who locked the president in the bathroom i don't know who did that <laughs> but uh listen we got some stuff to do let's take care of it
0: all right, uh, anyway uh
1: so sh- it is. the show's brought to you by all those unions and chicago reader chicagoreader.com for all things there is to know the city of chicago where to go what to do what to eat what to drink what kind of pot to smoke and so much more including columns from our very own ben Jarovsky. that guy you just heard him what's up ben what it is. That guy. Yeah, you can hear <laughs> columns from him. Chicagoreader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can. Chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarovsky. J O R A V is in victory. S K Y. It is Wednesday, September 7th. <laughs> this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Now your host, I'm a Chicago reader columnist, Ben yeah,
2: Hello, everybody, Ben here. We're calling this Arlington Bears Wednesday, and here's why. I'll tell you why. Do you know why, ladies and gentlemen? Because the Bears made the first big move yesterday. Oh, they're slick. Oh, they are slick, the Chicago Bears. What's that? 2020. Ha, ha. I've said this once. i said it twice. I'll say it a million, million times. If the Bears were only as good on the football field, as they are at getting the public, getting politicians to kick money their way, man, be like 10 times Super Bowl champs, read a set, 2020. No no football during the show. Oh, sorry. They would have drafted Patrick Mahomes, not Mitch Trubisky. If they were as smart as football as they are at getting public money, Right now, Patrick Mahomes will be the quarterback of the Chicago Bears. Just think about that, ladies and gentlemen. They never would have drafted Mitch Trubisky, But no, they don't know a darn thing about football, but they're pretty good at squeezing the public. That's an organ. I mean, an accordion. Bears squeezing the public. All right, so here's so much delightful stuff about the Bears-Arlington Heights deal. The number one thing on the list is, frankly, I really don't care that much. Why? And Arlington Heights people, please don't get mad at me when I say this. I don't live in Arlington Heights. So the bears are ultimately gonna seek a property tax increase. They're gonna make you raise your property taxes, ladies and gentlemen, so that they could take the money that they would ordinarily put into the property taxes of pay for property taxes uh, in Arlington Heights and spend it on themselves. That's what they're gonna do. It doesn't affect me. I live in the city of Chicago. My property tax bill, which is already too high, won't go up anymore because Arlington Heights bails out the bears. So what do they say D? I don't have a dog in this fight. Isn't that what they say? Isn't that an old saying? Yeah. I don't have a dog in this fight. Uh, but I do find it very amusing watching from afar the machinations of the of the the bears in Arlington Heights. Uh, and by the way, they're following a script that has been written in the city of Chicago. So Arlington Heidians if you're listening, and you really should listen, because I'll be the one to tell you the truth about TIF deals. Okay, it's going to be a TIF deal, ladies and gentlemen. So I'll be the one guy that tells you the truth about it, Arlington Heidi. And so you might as well start listening to the Ben Jaroszki show, even if you don't like my politics. So the reality is this. This is 101 of a TIFF deal. Uh, the first thing you do is you underplay the fact that the uh, uh, Bears are going to get a TIF handout. So you don't, they haven't even mentioned it yesterday you know well we may get public subsidy but they don't mention TIF because they know that tif equals bad in the public's mind so they're not even going to mention that (laughs) or they'll call it a public subsidy like anything to avoid this is my plea to reporters covering this story guys come on stop calling it a public subsidy call it a TIF deal immediately immediately your readers will understand, oh, something shady's going on. You know, when you do, when you back away from it, it's sort of like you're ashamed to admit it. Like, I don't wanna say this, I don't wanna take a stand. (laughs) Anyway, so first thing they do is they don't broadcast that. Though they say, well, we're probably going to need some kind of public assistance. And this is the key folks, this is the play they go. And I'm reading from the Chicago Tribune. This is what they say. The team would not seek taxpayer help to build the stadium, but given the economic impact, would seek public funding for the rest of the project. Well, what? I can't even get the words out. Monroe Anderson has joined us, ladies and gentlemen. Monroe Anderson has joined us. I cannot get the words out. What difference does it make, Arlington Hydeans, if your property taxes go up to build the stadium or to build everything around the stadium? In the city of Chicago, Arlington Hydeans, what they do is they go, well, there'll be no public money spent on Lincoln Yards. Instead, we will be spending money on infrastructure. Hello. (laughs) All that infrastructure is being built to make our uh, Lincoln Yards possible. So effectively you're just underwriting the project. It's getting public subsidies. I remember when the the Paul blue demons were building their uh, stadium, Basketball arena now. It's Wind Trust Arena on the near south side of Chicago. And all the bad publicity uh, that emerged when Rom first proposed that handout to Paul said, we don't want TIF money. <laughs> don't give us TIF money. We don't want to be associated with that. So they end up taking hotel motel money. And then the money that was supposed to be spent on that stadium and the hotel that went there went to Navy Pier. Hey, Arlington Heights, get ready for that. Oh, my God, if they're taking this page uh, up front from the city of Chicago and TIF deals, Lord knows what kind of shenanigans they're going to be taking down the road. So anyway, it's just the opening uh, salvo, if you speak. There's going to be a public hearing in Arlington Heights. The Chicago Bears, though, announced they're going to be beautiful, state-of-the-art, never seen anything like it. It's going to change the mankind's problems as we know it. Oh, we're going to eradicate all diseases. COVID will disappear if you just give the bears their money for their dome stadium in Arlington Heights and Arlington Heidi. are like, "Oh, sounds good to me. Hey, listen, man, Arlington Heights. If you want to spend more property tax dollars on the bears, God bless you. It's not my problem. I don't have to worry about it. I could just watch from the sidelines and laugh. All right, let's bring on Monroe Anderson. The pride and joy of Gary, Indiana. Uh, and a regular on the Ben Jarofsky show, talking Trump, 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 Monroe. We're going to hold off on Trump, as I told you in the pre-show planning, because Jim Coogan is just—I can't explain how eager he is to talk about the Special Master, which is not, as Joyce uh, Monroe's wife said, some kind of slavery term. No, it's—it's it's, uh, a what was he saying? a cockamamie device thought up by Trump and his lawyers, and seconded by some judge. To undercut the prosecution of Donald Trump. Monroe, you gotta, you gotta admit Trump is as slick as the bears, maybe even slicker. I know we're we're supposed to not talk about this until Jimmy Coogan comes on, but you gotta admit, Monroe. Slick move by the Trumpster, and he shops and gets some judge that he knows it's gonna support him, and she comes through for him, and now he's like, uh, beat you again.
3: Well, that's well, that's, that's why she's there. <laughs> He appointed her in his very, very latest days. I think it was five days before his it, he was done over at the hotel. And she got the appointment. And what this sort of assures is that um, when there's another opening on the Supreme Court, if heaven forbid... Um, Trump is in office. She'll be the next uh, Supreme court judge. So, you know, she's looking out for her future. Wow. Wow. That, that's so
2: Chicago. You know what I'm saying? You know, you know, it's funny. It's like the, um, the schizophrenia of MAGA because on the local level, when MAGA candidates run against corrupt Chicago, Machine politicians like Michael Madigan, okay? Uh, they, they don't really run against Ed Burke because they're all pals with him. And he, in many cases, he rep- got their property taxes lower. But they like they pick on Michael Madigan or what have you. Corrupt machine politicians. At the same time, Donald Trump is the maestro of corrupt machine-style ty- uh, politics, Monroe. Just what you said. You hire you promote some lady to judge, knowing that she'll do your bidding, she does your bidding, and then you uh, get, you reward her for doing your bidding by advancing her career. It not that Chicago 101 Chicago Democratic machine uh, tactics, Monroe?
3: Yeah, except you, you you give Chicago too much credit. They do it in Texas, they do it in New York, they do it in Wisconsin, they do it in Michigan. It's uh, American politics. What they do is they have these bedtime stories for Americans where um, the good good person wins out at the end and it's all done on the up and up. And in the meantime, um, they're doing Pulp Fiction.
2: Yes, <laughs> that's exactly right. By the way, great flick. All right. Oh, so we'll do a, a Trump and special masters talk and uh, Judge Cannon, et cetera, et cetera, when uh, Jim Coogan joins us. But I, I I got Monroe Anderson here and I told him I was going to raise this topic with him. Uh, and uh, so just bear with me, uh, youngsters who may be listening. We're going to give you a little history lesson. Uh, you can learn from history. Oh, don't don't fall asleep on me now. Don't turn away. OK, we're going to teach you a little bit of something about Chicago politics. Uh, Lori Lightfoot, mayor of the city of Chicago, who's a youngster, relative youngster compared to me and Monroe, um, made some comments the other day. Uh, and uh, so I'll just set the background for this. Monroe, Lori Lightfoot's about to run for re-election. We all know that uh, Lori Lightfoot, uh, her support in uh, the north side of Chicago, which where she was once the reigning queen or king or whatever you want to call her, uh, is fading. Uh, and so she's trying to consolidate her black support. Politics one hundred and one, Monroe. You know the game she's playing, uh, and as such, uh, she's trying to make herself sort of a martyr. And so she equated herself uh, to, well, I don't. She didn't say Tim Evans, but sort of Tim Evans uh, in the aftermath of Harold Washington's death. And her point is, is that uh, if she runs as the only Black person in the race, uh, all the Black people in the city of Chicago will vote for her. And she will uh, be reelected. And that will be good for all the black people in Chicago because Lori Lightfoot is a black woman and it'll work out for them. So that's the underlying assessment of what she's saying. And to prove her point, she goes back in history to 1987. And this is in the the days after the great Harold Washington died in office. And the way it works in Chicago, when there's a vacancy, uh, the city council convenes uh, and uh, elects one of its own to be an interim mayor until a special election can be held. All right. So essentially the Harold Washington uh, faction was divided into two camps. One supporting Tim Evans, who's now the chief judge of Cook County circuit courts and the other supporting alderman Eugene Sawyer uh, who passed on a few years ago, whose son Rod Sawyer is an alderman and thinking of uh, is running against Lloyd Liffitt at the moment. And who was, as everybody who listens to the show knows Monroe Anderson's boss, Monroe Anderson was the press secretary for Eugene Sawyer. So. Here you go, Monroe. Here's the key quote. We set it all up. This is Lori Lightfoot trying appealing to black voters in Chicago. Why it's so important that all the other black candidates drop out of the race and everybody supports her. Quote: After four years of everything that Harold Washington tried to do, being blocked by a racist mob at city council, that same mob that blocked him from doing anything, picked the one they wanted, the one they thought they could control. And December 2nd, 1987 is when Gene Sawyer was instituted as the mayor of Chicago. And then what happened just a few years later, that same mob dropped him like a bad habit, right? All right. So Monroe Anderson, that's Lori Lightfoot. Again, she's a little younger, so she really didn't live through it like you did. That's her interpretation of what went down in 1987. Uh, do you think her interpretation bears any relation to reality? Go. A,
3: a little. And the, the the part that it it connects with reality is that the 29, the white alderman, the racist mob, as she's now re- referring to them, did want Sawyer over, uh, over Tim Evans. And they wanted Sawyer because he was not as articulate or forceful a personality as Harold had been. He was just the opposite. And so they figured they um, they had to put a black person in, George Dunn, who was the head of the um, Democratic machine back then. Uh, said, no, you, They were the whites were trying to put one of their own in right off the bat. And he, he said there will be rioting in the streets in Chicago. We can't do that. You, we got to have a black person. So they picked Sawyer because Sawyer was soft-spoken, had a a, a, a southern accent because he was, he was from the south. And um, they figured that if he didn't go along with them, they would... Pick one of their own, and that's that was the plan, and that's what they executed. Sawyer, in fact, carried out every um, goal, political goal, of 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 Mayor Washington. He was anything but an Uncle Tom, as, as she's um, implying. In fact, well, the reality was sawyer was more black than harold as a mayor because he came from an all-black ward, and harold was tr to tr- to the um, hyde park liberals heavily
2: well that's where Hi- uh, harold washington uh, lived he lived in hyde park yeah right uh, exactly. and that was his base uh, exactly when he ran for the first congressional i all right i uh I'll I'll break it down a little more and then get your response. Okay. Uh, so yes, you're absolutely correct when you say uh, many of the white aldermen uh, wanted to be uh, elect one of their own, meaning a white person as interim mayor, and many of them wanted to be that mayor. Right. So Richard Mell, right. at Burke. I may, may have fantasized about it, but they didn't have the votes, ladies and gentlemen. Forget the rioting in the streets. They didn't have the votes. There are 50 aldermen. You needed 26 to uh, be elected as the interim mayor and no black alderman would vote for a white interim mayor. So
3: and, that and there, elect- was a, and there was a four alderman Hispanic vote.
2: Yes. Yeah. And then none of the, the four Hispanics uh, right. in the council uh, would have voted for a uh, white mayor. And there was a handful of white guys in the city council like David Orr. Right. They wouldn't have voted for a white mayor. All right. So you put those together. You don't have the 26 votes. So the white alderman who despised Harold Washington and fought him every step of the way until he took control of the city council needed uh, to support a black person. Now, here's the other thing uh, that Lori Lightfoot doesn't mention. Eugene Sawyer had black support. Monroe, there were aldermen in the city, black aldermen in the city council who supported Eugene Sawyer. It wasn't as though it was just white guys supported Eugene Sawyer. Right. The, the co the group of black aldermen in the council were split between Evans and Sawyer. And my position has uh, been over the last 20 years, Monroe and I'll get your response. Had there been anybody remotely like strategic in the Evans side of the aisle, They would have seen they didn't have the votes to elect Tim Evans. And so they would have then supported Eugene Sawyer. At some point, Monroe, you win by retreating. Right. And in politics, everything. It's just like, you know what? We don't have the votes. We can't win. Uh, If we continue this fight, we're just going to um, guarantee that that Richard Daly becomes mayor, which is what happened. And so Monroe, that fight didn't just happen December, 1987. It lasted for two years of Eugene Sawyer's or however long it was of Eugene Sawyer's term as mayor, you know, this cause you were the press secretary.
3: Right. 18 months, 18
2: months of Tim Evans supporters, not getting over it.
3: Yeah, no, they were acting like they were the government in exile. That was their mentality. And that was it, 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 so they man. were, undermining Gene, Mayor Sawyer, and uh, promoting Tim Evans. And they did not factor into it that there was a pack of white people just waiting <laughs> to to reclaim the fifth floor at City Hall. You know, their whole focus was us versus them among themselves. It was so crazy. I mean, it was just absolutely idiotic.
2: Yeah. Well, welcome to the left, Monroe. Okay. (laughs) My beloved left.
3: Oh, yeah. yeah. I've been there since Uh, since, uh, since 1966.
2: (laughs) Yeah. My beloved left, like, they fall in love with themselves sometimes, and they just can't see reality, can't see their way out of it, and it's really challenging. Uh, And then may he rest in peace, the great Conrad Worrell, who was – a professor and an activist, uh, and just an all around really smart human being, uh, in the city of Chicago and was at the forefront of the Harold Washington movement before Harold was elected, uh, mayor, uh, and then was very active in the Tim Evans camp, uh, later conceded many times, uh, he goes, Ben, you know, yeah, we really, uh, well, I don't, I want to swear cause this show may go on the radio. So we really, uh, uh, blank that up. And I was
3: like, yeah, man, <laughs> 20 yeah. years of daily yeah, later. Yeah. Bobby Rush has said the same thing. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um,
2: and uh, now, uh, so I have a hard time. Like, it's kind of weird. Like, the notion of Lori Lightfoot, like representing herself as sort of like the descendant of Harold. I, I don't recall Lori Lightfoot ever being at the forefront of anything remotely resembling uh, a movement. In the city of Chicago, she's always been an inside player. She was a, uh, a prosecutor. She was a corporate lawyer, a corporate defense lawyer. Monroe. She was a daily, as in Richard M. Daly appointee. You could argue that uh, Daily beating Sawyer helped advance her career. I, I find it like I don't know. What's your uh, you no?
3: Know, the thing is, I I understand what she's trying to do. And I understand why Rod Sawyer is very upset with what she's trying to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, But part of it also is the politics of what is about to be, not what was. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean that she is mayor, Rod Sawyer is challenging her. And so um, she dirties up his father, uh, to make sure that he won't be the one. And, of course, he's running, and so he's not interested in her dirtying him up. But he's particularly upset because he did it with his father, who was a very good man, just a decent human being. And he was not anybody's Uncle Tom. That, that, that myth was created... Uh, the The day of Harold's funeral, when they had a rally afterwards at the uh, University of Illinois uh, Stadium, mm-hmm. and um, the whole the the, the the whole rally was to promote Tim Evans and 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 Dirty Up Sawyer, which they did a very good job of, obviously, because. Um, Mayor Lightfoot thinks he can revive that.
2: All right. Let's see if you can pass this trivia uh, uh, test. This will be a challenge. I don't think you could pass this. You just alluded to uh, the rally, which I remember uh, clearly, that took place at the UIC uh, basketball arena uh, right before uh, the city council met to uh, approve Sawyer's interim mayor. Right. Uh, it was technically a memorial service for Harold Washington, and it turned into a political rally for Tim Evans. Yeah,
3: well, uh, it was. It was. It was set up to be a a, a, a memorial for yeah. for for Tim Evans. I mean, a, for Washington. Rally. yes. So, yes. They just put they put they they made they made it a dual purpose. Yes. But, but they had um, flyers talking about um, how. Evans was their heir apparent, and don't let them, meaning um, the White Alderman and Sawyer take it away.
2: You're right, so okay, f- for 10 trivia points, yes. who is the m c of that oh, memorial well. service?
3: <laughs> 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 That's so funny, you know, because I, I I did a chapter.: Uh-huh. Uh, on Sawyer uh that's going to go in Dick Simpson's book, I mean it's in the Dick Simpson's book, which will, the book won't be published till next year, yeah, but um, as part of that, I interviewed the m c for the rally and and I quote him in the chapter, you're kidding <laughs> yeah no, yeah right exactly now i that's, this is how I know it was set up to begin with because I interviewed. Richard and he said that um, it was supposed to be uh, a fair and square thing, because, so they could they could pay for it with city money. Okay. If they if they if they said if they said that it was a rally for Evans, then the city would not pay for it. But because it was this more, quote memorial for Harold, wow, and they a, a some sort of fairness, they had some some BS title for it. Then they could take, but it, it was a Harold. The Harold faction in City Hall pushing this thing.
2: Yes, and so uh, the MC was uh, Richard Steele, dear friend of the show, uh, dear friend of, of Monroe of mine, uh, and uh, I love—I never get tired of of having Richard tell that story. There's some stories that I just love hearing, uh, and he, Richard Steele always tried to p- p- play it right down the middle. You know, he wasn't overtly political. I mean, he has his political beliefs, but he's not going to be—he's not a player. Yeah, he's not a player in that role. He's a journalist, and no. a disc jockey, and a uh, public figure. So he was not going to alienate one side or another. He definitely wasn't going to get in the middle of Evans versus Sawyer. And here he was, right. the MC. Uh They were using his name and reputation um, mm-hmm. ineffectively to try to uh, promote Tim Evans. So I could go on and on about this. Jim Coogan has joined us. We're going to switch gears to uh, the special master, uh, Judge Cannon and Donald Trump and uh, very interesting interpretation of uh, of law that just came out in her ruling. Uh, But Monroe, just to close it up, I will never tire of this conversation. I feel it's really important that uh, citizens of Chicago understand her history. Uh, and uh, realized the gamesmanship that was going on in 1987 and the mistakes that uh, people in the black community made uh, if if their goal was to have a black mayor uh, go, uh, be elected in 1989. You know what I'm saying? If like you view it as a, ch- a chess game, the first move is <clears throat> electing an interim mayor in 1987. The oh, second yeah. move is coalescing t- for the yeah. election that will come in 89. And that second move was completely... Lost.
3: No, because uh, Ev, Ev, the Evans forces f- went downstate, yeah. judge-shopped, and got a judge who would say that the special election should be held. Sawyer wanted to um, fulfill, f- f- fill out all of Harold's term, which was three and a half years. And they didn't want that because they, Evans, forces didn't want that because they believed that they had enough support where they, he could become mayor.
2: Utter delusion. And, utter know, delusion. It was crazy. Utter and delusion. And,
3: and, and Sawyer told Evans, he said, look, I don't want to be mayor for life. I don't want to be mayor for 20 years. Why don't I do a couple of um, terms and then you, you, you follow me up. Yeah. Had, had had they worked on that thesis Chicago would have been like Atlanta, which has had a series of black mayors and has done well for blacks. In fact, Atlanta is now what Chicago used to be. And that's the Mecca for black America. Yeah. That's we blew that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's what Conrad Worrell said. Uh, and, uh, all right, we're gonna shift gears. Uh, Jim Coogan, uh, ace attorney, has joined us. Dear friend of the show, always comes to explain complicated uh, legal situations. So, Jim, thank you for, on such short notice uh, for agreeing to come back uh, and help Monroe and I uh, uh, parse this ruling by uh, Judge Cannon. Uh, and Jim, so let me just set it up by, if uh, if I may, reading a portion of the text that you had sent to me. That. They greeted me when I woke up right and early at nine o'clock in the morning. You were up, just want to say much earlier than I was to put it mildly. Uh, and
3: um, only three hours <laughs> it may have been more than that. I actually, I
2: think I may have been up when Jim wrote the text. Uh, but for some reason, I didn't see it. And Well, I don't look at my phone or in the early hours of reading. Anyway, I'm just going to read a portion of this, Jim. Uh, and then you can just take it away. What uh, amazes me as I try to hold on to my capacity to be amazed is how many things Trump's fanboys will eagerly watch him destroy without any apparent awareness of the stakes. Uh, And as soon as I read that, Monroe, I said, I got to bring Coogan back on the show. (laughs) He's got something to say and he really wants to say it. (laughs) Uh, And uh, so. All right. Uh, the last time, Jim, first of all, welcome back, Cotter, to the show. Let's get that out of the way. Uh, yeah, it's good thank to you see for, you guys. Yes, uh, and I love these uh, Coogan, Monroe Anderson appearances. They're a lot of fun. Um, so the last time you were on the show, it was uh, you were just laying out the case against Trump, the, talking about the, why the raid, excuse me, uh, the search, as I think you corrected me not to call it a rate was conducted, the process and the procedures that the justice department had to go through uh, before they got a judge to sign off uh, on a warrant. Uh, And I urge everybody to check out that interview because it's A to Z on that aspect of this matter. Okay. The special, I don't even know if Trump, when you came on my show, Jim, had asked for a special master. I can't remember. Uh, if that came up before or after, I don't recall us talking. No, maybe we did talk about did. it. Yep. Uh, yeah. So it had happened, but I did not think they would find a judge in America <laughs> who would, <laughs> who would buy that argument. Even uh, attorney general Barr called it baloney. Uh, we're not swearing in this segment of the show. Cause I think that is just going to air this on lumpkin radio. So he called it malarkey. All right. Although he used a different word. Uh, and yet, This judge ruled as Trump's lawyers asked her to rule. Jim Coogan, explain to Monroe and me what the heck is going on here?
0: Well, you you preface this by uh, noting that I'll come on to explain complicated legal matters. I think this should be a very simple legal matter. Right, but it has been rendered exponentially more complicated than it should be. Um, but I suppose if you are apt to abusing the legal system, then this is what you do. And uh, we did talk about this special master application. <clears throat> At the time, it existed mostly in the form of a virtually incomprehensible, really more press release application petition that had been filed before Judge Cannon by Trump's lawyers. Um, which even, I I think at the time, part of us, part of our belief and the reason we were a little bit encouraged that this might not end up this way is because the initial response from Judge Cannon, I think there was a preliminary hearing on the the application because it was looking for an injunction as well as to appoint a special master. Uh, she didn't completely understand what standing they had to bring it or whether she had jurisdiction over the matter at all. And that initial response gave me some hope that it wouldn't turn into this um, circus that it has. So we were both wrong on that count, but I don't think we were wrong on the merits. (laughs) Because uh, part of our discussion when it came to the question of a special master was circulating around the idea that the investigation by the Department of Justice the search and seizure of documents by the FBI as part of that investigation and the process that appears to be playing out with the grand jury and an apparent criminal investigation, those are all things that happen without the intervention of a separate judge. This Judge Cannon is not the judge who signed off on the search warrant. She's not the judge before whom the criminal proceedings would uh, presumably be brought. And in fact, they could be brought Somewhere else, they don't necessarily even have to be brought in Florida. Uh, they could be brought in Washington D.C., just as an example. So, um, I think, like I said, I think we were right on the merits, and we could talk a little bit more about why that's the case. Uh, and I'd say that you know, as a as a quasi legal scholar, that you uh, I know you don't say that you are Ben, but you certainly are constantly fielding and dealing with legal issues. <laughs> Locally and nationally, um, you're on good paper when this many actual legal scholars, professors uh, and and former Department of Justice and solicitors general are all saying the same thing that uh, this decision is just uh, bonkers yeah um, to use a very technical legal term, yeah. Well, uh,
2: and thank you for, uh, a compliment, uh, calling me a legal scholar, which I smile at. Uh, and, um, I never went to law school and just read a lot of novels, but, and I said this to you already, uh, before the show, I said it to Monroe as well. My basis is a lifetime of, of watching federal investigations of corrupt Chicago politicians. I've 40 years of watching this stuff and the, how the public cheers. It's like, I say this all the time when the feds, go very much a raid when they do it to a Chicago politician with the jackets and FBI, and they cart out the boxes. It's like a way of humiliating, embarrassing. Uh, This is just part of the political culture uh, in in Chicago, Illinois, throughout the country, wherever the feds do an investigation, which is cheered on by law and order types. So this notion that if you have a, a very good reason, such a strong reason that a judge signs off on it, uh, to take documents from Donald Trump's uh, house or home or whatever, uh, the basement of his uh, mansion, that you need to run those through documents that you see through a representative of Donald Trump is utterly preposterous to anyone who's just remotely follow. It's I mean, if this becomes the standard, Jim, for better or for worse, that pretty much ends prosecutions of corrupt politicians that's how I read it. Go ahead. Your thoughts.
0: Well, the the whole point of of what we had said and my initial skepticism that this would become meaningful, um, regardless of the fact that they engaged in what lawyers refer to as forum shopping and managed to file this in front of a judge who, I mean, it. we've been living through some sort of weird alternative universe for so long now that it's hard to keep track of, the weird things that happen. But on top of everything else, this is a judge who got appointed as Trump was, uh, you know, leaving claw marks on the front door of the White House in January of 2021. I mean, she got appointed right at the end of his term. And I don't think she started serving until December of 2020 or 2021, uh, January. So on top of everything else, it's someone who kind of just sort of slipped into the judiciary uh, right at the end. And look, I looked her up I wanted to know a little bit more about her background. Um, She worked as an attorney for the minimum number of years to get a a federal judicial appointment, um, but did have have time in the Department of Justice and at a big law firm, Gibson & Dunn, I think is the name of it, uh, in D.C. and then in Florida. But um, it doesn't, of all things, to have had this assigned to that particular judge and then create this potential new I mean ultimately what you're referring to here is this is asserting some new element of due process that doesn't exist (laughs) that's what you know that's why I mentioned a moment ago you have a normal process prosecutors have obligations to handle evidence carefully to present it to a grand jury based upon things that are going to later be admissible to trial although even that process the grand jury you're not allowed to be there as a criminal defendant. They're not obligated to advise you that one is happening. You might know because someone who in your orbit is subpoenaed to testify, or they've, they've gathered documents and maybe already performed a, a search and seizure like they did here. But a, a criminal defendant has no place at those proceedings. These are all things that have, look, it's, it's basically questioning the whole foundation of criminal procedure the fourth fifth sixth amendments i mean these are things that have been going on for 200 and plus years and they've been working just fine whether or not i mean those accused of these crimes would certainly love to have all of the information and some full-blown discovery process early on but that's not how it works and there's reasons why it doesn't work that way i mean when an investigation's in its nascency, You know, law enforcement has to have an opportunity to actually go out and find information, talk to witnesses, find evidence, catalog evidence, put their case together until, and again, this is the whole point, the judge is later on, the criminal judge, serves as the gatekeeper to that evidence. If something was illegally seized and shouldn't have been, if a warrant didn't actually have a solid foundation, if it's a bad informant and they didn't you know look behind it and they can they can question these things at a preliminary hearing a defendant can raise those issues and they can also raise them at trial so you know the notion that somehow there has to be there this decision essentially injects some new oversight over the not only the prosecution but the investigation itself it's suggesting that they should have been apprised of this and now have the chance to look through all these documents and for some of the strangest reasons possible. I mean, Judge Cannon is citing uh, in an an application for an injunction, she seems to be confusing the notion of irreparable harm, which is one of the things you need to demonstrate for the court to stop something from happening. We talked about that briefly in the last show. An injunction is when a court has the power to stop something, Mm -hmm. stop a building from being built or from being torn down or something else. You need to prove to that court, that unless it's stopped in this moment, your harm cannot be fixed later because the the law prefers to let things play out. And if it turns out somebody breached a contract or whatever it is, pay money damages later because it's a big deal to stop something in its tracks. This doesn't doesn't normally exist. And now she's doing that anyway.
3: Well, what's, what's the critical part of all of this is that there are top secret papers that are involved in this, that the the Department of Justice, the CIA, FBI, all are very concerned about what's in there and what's been available, and they're investigating to see if uh, Trump is in fact a double agent, so to speak. And by put, by, by putting calling it to a halt, then people could die. Uh, all kinds of things could happen—bad things—to and for America, and so this makes no sense. I mean, be, beyond you, you, you're you're talking technical and logical, but beyond that, just in terms of the 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 impact of what may have happened, what may be happening, what may happen. Um this thing should be going full steam ahead on finding out um what's what's going on here. In fact, um I think personally that Trump ought to be arrested um and questioned, interrogated on um, why why he brought the papers home with him. Um who he's who who has he sh- shown them to. Has he sold any of the information to anybody? But I I, I I, think they should have him, like they do in the movies, under the bright lights, sitting <laughs> at a table, being, yeah. being interrogated and interrogated and interrogated. Because, I mean, this is how serious this is.
0: Well, it, you're absolutely right, Monroe. And putting it in context, that makes a, it's very important. Because we are talking about sources and methods. We're talking about potential information about and people who are working abroad in, as as spies, maybe right now, who have right. were in positions in foreign governments, bringing information back to the United States intelligence services, they are at risk right now. I've heard those. I've read some of those stories as well about the seeming increase in violence being done, or or the disappearance of sources internationally. Right. Whether or not that's re- directly related to these documents, yeah, that's, that's what we all happen. want to know. And right. yeah, and so like this eight. is our national
3: security. Right. Yeah. It's, it's seven or eight so far, right? right. So yeah. Yeah.
2: Seven or eight. What?
3: Source um, <laughs> people who could be spies uh, on, on our sides. Spies are um, undercover. Uh, All right.
2: Well, let me uh, let me play devil advocate here uh, and uh, get your thoughts, uh, Monroe. And then, Jim, you can respond to don't do you see any potential uh, from this uh, judge's order to protect people who are far more vulnerable than Donald Trump? Uh, to federal excess, because having watched the justice system in Chicago, I know that more often than not, or in many cases it could be, and I'm just being as euphemistic as I can here, unfair uh, to uh, people who don't have clout. So the notion that there would be a higher standard uh, that the feds uh, have to clear before they could uh, uh, seize documents from somebody's house or break it, enter someone's house and uh, look for evidence and mount a case against someone or drag them in, as you're saying that you you want them to do with Trump uh, for interrogation. Uh, Do you think there's any possibility Monroe that this judge's ruling in this decision will be actually a, uh, a great moment in civil liberties in America? Go ahead.
3: I think that, um, as a, a just as a blanket rule, not not to be argued at all, um, anybody who has top secret information that they've taken home with them should be handcuffed in the middle of the night, her uh, <laughs> <per-plunked> fault out <laughs> and put in jail. No bond until they can figure out what in the devil was going on here.
1: Okay.
2: (laughs) In other words, you're saying you see no, uh, there's no similarities between them uh, planning uh, like drugs on some poor guy on the West side
0: and what they're doing to Donald Trump.
3: Although Trump, that was one of Trump's many, I think he had five or six defenses. I can't remember that.
0: Well, usually defense. they're internally inconsistent, Monroe. That's the problem. Yeah, I know. I know.
3: Exactly. And one of them was that the FBI planted the papers on Yeah, him. Well, saw yeah, they, yeah,
0: they planted papers that he also declassified, which... Right, that, exactly. It's, exactly. It's a logical uh, cartwheel, if I've ever heard of one. Exactly. Well, Ben, listen. I'll yeah. say this. It, it, this ties back directly to the text that you uh, publicly exposed on the show that I sent you. Um, yeah. Because, it, look... There may be legitimate reasons why we have things to examine about how the criminal justice system works, mm-hmm. whether it's the federal investigations or Chicago police or and Cook County investigations, or whichever level you want to look at. But like everything else, if it it, it just it's tangentially related to something that that Donald Trump is in the process of destroying, breaking, or breaking the law in re, in relation to, He's not the test case. That's not what this is about. And and the idea that somebody could hire lawyers to file a separate civil action and apply for a special master, how many criminal defendants would have? I mean, look, if they can afford an attorney, then that person is working on their criminal case. They don't have time to mess around with, with some sort of petition, application for a special master. And for the ones who can't, they'd never have access to this anyway. More importantly, again, the guardrails that are supposed to be there you do them different ways now. Bad representation, where you, do, where a criminal defense lawyer, you know, an overworked public defender, just doesn't do a good enough job looking through documents and realizes something should have been excluded from evidence. These are like the meat and potatoes criminal justice problems that you write about, that uh, Maya Dugmasova writes about, and in Injustice Watch. Those are those are like real people's problems. Yeah. This guy is a cartoon on every level. So I mean the the pro- I appreciate completely that you're doing this as a devil's advocate, but the idea that this would somehow potentially inform improvements to the system for other people. It's never true about it. No. Whatever it is, whatever it is that he's doing is never going to help anybody else. And and that the point is this would like what I was really trying to say is it it destroys the his prosecution in this case which I think is pending and I think is, is imminent, but also the ability of the federal government to protect itself, to protect executive documents from being, you know, to protect top secret clearance documents, uh, SCIF documents, you know, well, and then we have a separate discussion about whether reality winners should have been in jail for four years or five years and whether some of that stuff is over classified. These are all legitimate discussions to have. Yeah. But as as is almost always like the rule is, Donald Trump has nothing to do with legitimate discussions about the process or the system or anything else. He's just he just abuses those systems right. and he, he, he lies about his own problems.
3: Right. He hasn't even denied that he stole the papers. You know. So let's take all that other stuff out and, and let's start with Donald Trump stole more than a thousand pages of documents. From the United States, for whatever reasons we don't know yet, but we need to find out. Then uh, the law has been broken, and we don't need a special master of any sort yeah. to figure that out.
0: Well, and if they are classified, then they're not his. That's the other problem. I mean, uh, you know, some of the criticisms of Judge Cannon's opinion are she just glosses over these these questions. The Biden administration and the National Archives person have already said. There aren't executive privilege issues. And yet that's a big focus of her opinion without really explaining why, (laughs) why he even has standing to assert executive privilege when he isn't the president. There's no such thing as the office of the ex president. They keep (laughs) acting as if it exists. Yeah. You know, mostly again, if anything else, the guy's always looking to steal other people's legitimacy to try to paint himself as a legitimate actor because he's constantly doing illegitimate and illegal things. These are all just pattern, parts of the same pattern that we've been watching for years now. And even this is a perfect example of other people, they'd never be able to do any of these things. And Monroe, Monroe is 1,000% right. These are documents he shouldn't have, period. Yeah. Judge Cannon doesn't even really explain why they should be, why, she should, why she's doing what she's doing. And there's very little in the way of instruction as to what the special master's purpose would even be.
2: Well, I, I think you uh, will get, I'm going to get into that right now, but I think you hit on something, Jim, in uh, passing. Uh, and that is the notion uh, that there's no such a thing as an office of ex-president. In the minds of MAGA, Donald Trump is still the president. In the mind of Donald Trump, he's still the president. And apparently in the minds of this judge, Judge Cannon, he's still the president. Therefore, he has executive privilege, uh, even though he's not the president Uh, and that's part of our problem right now (laughs) the denial uh by i don't know 45 percent of the population that joe biden was victorious in the uh the last election it's a form of denial i've never seen before all right let's get into what's next so uh the first possibility is appeal and the second possibility are the reality is, someone gets to be the special master. So address uh, both of those. Uh, what's the likelihood, in your humble opinion, uh, Jim and Monroe, that uh, Donald Trump? Uh, excuse me, the feds will appeal.
3: Oh, I don't. There's no doubt. Yeah, right. Exactly. I was going to say no doubt. They have to because they can't just let this hang out there. Uh, you know, each with literally with each passing day something bad can happen mm-hmm. to, to, um, uh, to Americans. And so, so lives could be lost, what have you. So they have to act on this. And, and, and there are some legal um, precedents um, that are also of concern that, that Jim could discuss better than I can.
0: Yeah, I mean, these are the, all of the things that I've pointed out that are fundamental and almost, they're bafflingly bad flaws in this opinion and in this decision by the judge in authorizing this special master that they no, nobody who is on the other side of this case nobody at the department of justice would want this to stand uh, district court opinions only have very limited value as in terms of precedent mm-hmm. you know this is something that people kind of have to be reminded of sometimes appellate courts when they write decisions that are criticizing something that a district court did That would be precedential for future cases. But that's the reason why they'd appeal it, because then the 11th Circuit, which is overseeing Florida, hopefully, my God, we'd have a problem if somehow they affirmed this. But which um, is not you can't just easily dismiss that. Because the 11th Circuit, I think, has a lot of appointees from the last administration as well. Um, but, you know, under those circumstances, you look at the numbers overall, they can apply for a non vonk appeal, which would mean instead of just having three judges decide it, you'd have all, I don't know how many are on the 11th Circuit, but they would do it as a group and you'd hope that there'd be enough rational people that, look, those judges would have to be thinking about the idea that this is going to throw a wrench into every criminal prosecution. I don't think federal district court judges want to suddenly be fielding, defense petitions for injunctions and special masters in every drug case, every RICO case, you know, because think about it again, it would be defendants who have some kind of money. Right. So if any kind of organized crime investigation, which tends there's a lot of federal investigations into those sorts of operations, it would become routine. And yeah. it would down the prosecution in every single one of these cases and clog up their dockets. So, you know, maybe there's some practical things that we can imagine could appeal to you know, even a, I don't know, like a George Bush appointed Republican appellate justice who would look at this and think, look, I, I vote Republican, but I don't want to completely undermine the ability of the government to do federal criminal investigations. How is How is doing this either when it comes to the intelligence side of this or just generally criminal investigations, how is this making Americans safer? How is this being tough on crime? I mean, it's just, it's, it's, I guess, like I said, I have to keep holding on my capacity to be amazed by these things.
2: It's definitely not tough on crime, uh, and this is a point I will never tire of making because I very much live in a political universe uh, that is dictated by the Republican campaign theme, which is ongoing and relentless, to get tougher on crime. Just today or yesterday, Darren Bailey, the Republican gubernatorial candidate uh, for uh, right here in Illinois, wants to bring back the death penalty. And I'm just smiling. I'm like, okay, you're taking a big stand on the death penalty, which is the ultimate judgment. There's no going back. There's no special master that you can appeal to when you kill the guy. What's your position on the special master? And then he'll go, well, that's dead—an Illinois issue, you know. Well,
3: except think—you have to look at it this way, Ben. Uh, Trump may may have uh, committed treason. And if the death penalty is reintroduced, (laughs) (laughs) who is that, the Rosenbergs? Yes.
2: (laughs) uh, Really? Yeah,
3: Yeah,
2: after Rosenberg, Julius (laughs) Rosenberg. Yeah.
3: Wow. Then then Trump Trump could be the first president executed for committing Uh, treason. That would really put him in a different level.
2: Jim and listeners out there, I just want you to, uh, to note uh, in the course of this, what, about an hour's worth of conversation, Monroe has called for the uh, arrest of Donald Trump, the handcuffing of Donald Trump, the interrogation in a cell with a light in his face of Donald Trump, and now he's suggesting the, the death penalty. No, I'm just saying, another Monroe Wednesday I'm in the Ben Jarofsky show.
3: I'm saying that if we're going to follow the logic I see. Yeah, yes, then, yes. That would be the logic.
2: <laughs> I, I hear you. You're making sense. I'm not for the uh,
3: death penalty, just, period.
2: For all right. Uh, in terms of the ruling by the judge, Jim uh, M. Monroe, I'll just point out that I've learned one thing I've learned. I am no judicial expert. That is for certain. I am no legal scholar. Well, thank you for saying that, Jim Coogan. But I have gotten used to uh, MAGA rulings. Uh, and even before they were known as MAGA, MAGA rulings. And so I'm thinking of two in particular where MAGA judges said, we're going to make this preposterous ruling, but we're going to, uh, when we do this, we're saying this is only for this one matter. So I'm, I'm thinking of Gore versus Florida when they cut off uh, the count. On, and uh, Scalia was like basically said, this is just this one case and that's it. And then, of course, Dobbs, uh, which I don't actually believe them, uh, but Alito was like, no, oh, abortion is such a serious matter that it's just abortion and it doesn't apply to anything else. And then meanwhile, Clarence Thomas is saying, yeah, it does. So uh, who knows what these judges will cook up. Ultimately, uh, Jim, it would come to the Supreme Court. Am I correct on this?
0: Yeah, I mean, if they, if the Department of Justice takes it up on appeal, then either side, if they're unhappy with what the appellate judges do, has the opportunity to... <laughs> make the application for a Supreme Court appeal, although those are discretionary, so you don't necessarily know if they would take it up. And it would, you know, that would depend on what is the posture at that point. What, how did it end up after the appellate judges wrote their decision? I mean, look, we did extol, at least <laughs> offered some, uh, we, we, were, we were complimentary to Justice Kavanaugh, uh, and and Justice Gorsuch, when they signed on to the opinion the, that uh, the, that the president, the former president, was obligated to follow the law at least in some circumstances and turn over records that he had tried to claim that he didn't have to turn over um, when they wrote that decision. So there, at least there is some historical precedent in the last two years for the the Supreme Court to uphold the notion that. Donald Trump, the person is not above the law. No. Although I don't have a lot of confidence in how that process plays out again, right. if only, but the thing is you have, you do have the competing principles that this would be, I think, well, again, there could be other reasons why the criminal justice system deserves some, some reevaluation and it's always something that needs to be fixed, but this would completely undermine criminal prosecutions of all sort, And I don't know. I can't even calculate because we don't know enough about what's in those documents, the ways that endangers national safety or national security, as well as our ability to conduct intelligence operations. So these are the kinds of things that sometimes those sorts of Supreme court judges pump the brakes a little bit and think, well, you know, again, we're not going to destroy the entire system just because of this one guy who's so bent on breaking the law on a consistent basis. Yeah. That's
3: the thing Ben. the Trump M O is to eat up time yeah. Okay. to stall, keep things going because his strategy is yeah. that you keep it in the court. Um, you, you stop the investigations,
2: mm-hmm.
3: you keep it in the court. Um, no, um, uh, November comes, Republicans get back the house and they could have a significant impact because, uh, on, um, what's being went, done with the case. And then the 2024 20, comes around and Ch- Trump is rightfully air quotes. Re- Return to power. Yeah. And he will have gotten away with murder.
2: All right. So let me just say this to that Monroe. First of all, you are doing the exact opposite of what the Tim Evans forces, uh, did in uh, 1987. You're playing chess. Okay. So you're thinking moves down the road, down the ahead of yourself, uh, which I applaud you for doing. Uh, so I, I would, I could argue and I'd love to get your response Monroe. And then Jim, you can weigh in too, cause you, you're a p- uh, pundit these days, uh, p- coming on my show so much, uh, but I would argue that a delay uh, hurts Republicans. It keeps this matter alive in the courts. Uh, it keeps Donald Trump's presidential campaign alive uh, because he's not been indicted, because it's, the process has been frozen. You're mm-hmm. dragging out the time before he could possibly be indicted and carted off to, court, uh, to jail in your vision in handcuffs to be interrogated. Which will never happen in my lifetime, but anyway. Uh, and so, what I'm saying is, uh, this hurts Ron DeSantis's chance to mount a presidential campaign, or uh, Nikki Haley, uh, her chances, or whoever else out there in Magalang wants to be president. Uh, we'll start with you, Monroe, and then Jim, you weigh it. Go ahead.
3: Yeah, it 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 hurts those two people and a few others, but um, that's water under the bridge already because uh once they raided trump's house uh the maga movement was was suffering a slow death now this has perked them back up you know because it's because uh, the deity has been attacked so they circle <laughs> the wagons and that's not going away yeah that's not going away Um, And it's it's although it's a big deal for them. It's not for the independents. It's not for Democrats. It's not for rhinos. So it's just for the MAGA people as far as that's concerned. Wait, what's not a big deal for Democrats? Um, um, Trump being arrested are are are. No, uh, Trump getting
2: off is a big deal for a Democrat. It, it riles them up. I've had at least three conversations with Democrats. just furious about this. Uh, he's not going to
3: be, he's not, no, what I'm saying is if, if, if it's in the courts, mm-hmm. he's not, he's not officially gotten off, but he's, he, he, what he's doing is delaying the decision until he can get to a point where he does get off. Mm-hmm. And by that time, we're um, Germany, or Mussolini,
2: Mussolini. Let's go with Italy as yeah, opposed yeah, to Germany. It's,
3: exactly. uh, okay, so that's that, that's not the problem. It's it's that, um, and and it's not the main issue. Abortion is the issue. This is what's going to do. Uh, the irony is that the Republicans, the right wing, got what it wanted, or said it wanted. And um, that as a result of that, the Republicans are going to lose the House in November. Wow,
2: that's, that's bold. That predict- Every time you say that, I go,
3: right, they're not,
2: that's they, a bold prediction. Yeah,
3: they, 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 <laughs> mo- the momentum tr- trend is on that side. I mean, it's, it's steadily go- moving ahead. And it's because of uh, Dobbs.
2: All right, uh, Jim. Your thoughts on the political consequences of this uh, judge's ruling?
0: Well, <clears throat> the important thing to remember is Donald Trump, the individual candidate and political figure, has never cared whether whatever he's doing for his own personal selfish needs, because that's the literally the only thing that matters to him. It's never mattered whether he's damaging the Republican Party, the country, the right. prospects of other the prospects of the of Mitch McConnell and having the uh majority in the senate he blew that blew the house i mean his his self-service has constantly done damage to republicans it's just that they don't have the, yeah. the either the spine to do anything about it or they're complicit and they're just kind of riding his coattails or they get ridden out on a rail <laughs> like liz cheney or adam yeah. Kinsinger or anybody else who dares try to uh ask the right questions or stand on the right side of history in the moment so, yeah, I think the, the notion that he keeps playing, pulling this along, dragging it out to avoid whatever consequences there are, but he just avoids them forever, that's all that matters to the guy. This is what, this is what fraudsters and, and dishonest people do. They string things along forever and hope that maybe things break their way, and in his life... Sadly, he's constantly been reinforced in this because it works, Uh, which is just a sad commentary on the moral ethics or the moral fibers of the universe, the fact that it keeps happening, but he won't care what the political consequences are. At the end of it, it's possible that a conviction helps one of those candidates if it happened before 2024's cycle uh, or while he's trying to be out there and campaigning. But I, I'm still divided as to whether he even wants to run, because I know that the ability to keep having the Republican National Committee pay his legal bills is a big deal to a non-billionaire, you know, to have that much money right. at his disposal. He except, loses he, 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 his he, he, back if he becomes a candidate. Yeah,
3: you know? except Jim, he, he's been getting a million dollars a day <laughs> he got <to> <laughs> from the suckers.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, I mean the money. The money comes pouring in. The grift is the grift yeah. is, look. Like you said, it it totally animated the base to start pouring more money into the grift operation. These are things the guy wouldn't want to lose access to because you know it's it's all a scam. It's all been a yeah. scam. Right. It's the first time he floated running for president in the '90s or the early 2000s. It's always been a scam. Yeah, um, and by the
3: way
2: by the way since we've been on the show i just took a look since we've been having this conversation i've gotten three solicitations from donald trump for funds so i uh, just you know uh just to, to your point uh, Monroe. Well
3: save, well save a little money for for your bills. so totally, okay yeah totally <laughs> little. okay yeah, don't, <laughs> you don't, you don't, to don't get it
0: all over ben <laughs> uh all
2: right so Let's assume that he prevails ultimately, or let's just uh, start with that as a notion uh, that uh, the appeal goes against the feds. Let's just take that. Uh, What's next? What, what, who gets appointed special master and what does a special master then do? Jim, do you know?
0: It's a great question. I mean, honestly, I, somebody floated that on Twitter. I was reading this last night, kind of getting my head and, or just kind of following the story some more. Who could possibly be a person who would want the job? Right. Satisfy the the various people who are in, who have interest in how the job gets done. Actually, follow whatever things. Which still not clear what those instructions would be um, to go through this. I mean, look. The other part that makes no sense. As we also talked about in the last show, because it didn't happen that long ago, the Department of Justice has already gone through all the documents.
3: Yeah, that's right. the And the, the other thing. The other, the, the the really sticky icky part of this is some of this merch, the, the, These documents are so highly classified right. that they're only like a handful of people with the entire cut world that right. that are that can, can see them right now. So if um, assuming that those handful of people don't meet other qualifications, that means that um you, you're going to have to deputize this person and yeah. where they're allowed to take a look at it and yeah. um so if they if 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 it's decided that we get the, the special master then it could take months on months to find this, this 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 unicorn that's going to be able to do this
0: yeah well and, and maybe that's you know i guess you get frustrated saying this is brilliant in some fashion it's brilliant in that way that finding the right person to actually qualify for this position might be might be actually be impossible but rose correct when they described the notion that uh department of justice uh i don't remember what they call them privileged teams or whatever the team is called that goes through these documents they're lawyers who are not involved in the prosecution so they wall that off and they have those lawyers go through the documents to see whether something was properly an attorney client privileged document and therefore should not be in the department of justice's possession uh and they, you know they talked about we're not going to talk about executive privilege anymore but the point is they had to it was they actually had to give those people special access to access these documents right. because they're just he's right there's not that many people who are privy to these things normally and the people who are normally privy to them are in the intelligence community they they certainly wouldn't have anything to do with this so finding some retired judge or retired prosecutor who you know maybe is a, is a professor now and maintained their clearance after they retired it, it, yeah, the unicorn is a perfect description. So I, the practical I, parts of this are, are like un, they're not feasible. One thing
2: I don't recall, and either one of you helped me on this. I just don't recall that. Remember this from the coverage I have read. Uh, does who appoints the special master? Is it uh, Donald Trump or is it the federal judge?
0: the judge would be the one to actually do the appointment. But again, (laughs) this has never happened before. Yeah. So I guess, I I think that's the answer, but
3: yeah. Yeah. Right. This is the complication with that is although she ruled on this, she's now saying, well, it's not in her jurisdiction, so she shouldn't be ruling on it. It should go back to Washington.
2: (laughs) Insane, man. So, you know, whatever, if it gets to this, I could see the games Trump will be playing. He'll start uh, shredding the ch- special. Uh, let's say the special master is Billy Bob. He'll sh- start. He doesn't have Twitter, but he has his own social media account. So he'll start shredding the credibility of Billy Bob, and yep. and then next thing you know, MAGA will be uh, joining in to talk about how Billy Bob is uh, so uh, you know Democratic corrupt, et cetera, and so forth, and uh, bias. Uh, And then on and on the game goes. And like I said, gentlemen, it goes on for a long time. It does freezes two things. One, it freezes the prosecution, the the process of prosecute of mounting a case against Donald Trump, which is ultimately what he wants. And two, again, I'll repeat this. It freezes all other Republican wannabe presidential candidates because, as Jim just pointed out, Monroe, they're too afraid to take a stand that is in any way viewed as critical to Trump because MAGA will turn against them. And we've seen that in instance, after instance, after instance, and you'll see Ron DeSantis trying to figure out a way. He's going to be struggling to figure out a way how he can remain supportive of Donald Trump while maintaining a shred of credibility to people outside of MAGA. I, good luck with that one, Ron DeSantis. Um, All right. We're going to close it down with a question unrelated to Donald Trump. uh, And I'm just curious what two Bears fans have to say. Uh, And uh, we'll start with you, Jim Coogan, and then Monroe, you get the final word. Uh, The Bears played their card yesterday. They're talking about uh, moving to Arlington Heights. I I opened the show uh, just a brief riff on it. I could go on and on for hours, but I'm curious what other people have to say about it. Uh, clearly, the and the Bears made it clear, uh, Jim, they're going to look out for some kind of public subsidy. It'll probably come from Arlington Heights residents themselves, probably in the form of a property tax increase uh, to uh, help pay for the Bears' new stadiums. Your general thoughts on the Bears leaving Chicago and getting a public subsidy to build a dome stadium in Arlington Heights. Jim Coogan
0: uh well they they certainly the the plan looked really nice i saw the renderings (laughs)
2: yeah
0: Uh, look i mean selfishly since i live towards the northwest side of the city i mean it'd be nice not to have to get down to soldier Field if i was going to go to a game it's i mean it sounds ridiculous it's small problem right but it is difficult to get to the lakefront from anywhere else unless you actually live like in the south loop or something like that it's not convenient right and and that actually applies to almost everybody. And, and with the Bears, unlike baseball, they're big events. It's not part of the problem. It's the smallest stadium in the league, but it is 60-something thousand people yes. that you have to get in and out of this place on a Sunday. And some are traveling from, you know, Western Illinois and Southern Illinois and Indiana because it's, it's a old-line franchise. It's a real pain in the neck. It's not a great location. It's a beautiful spot. The, the sight lines are beautiful. Soldier Field's a historic place and so on, but um, the public subsidy side of it, I know that the way that they phrased it or framed it was to say they will pay for the stadium, they will get their own, you know, because they're going to own it, and there will be financing and so on involved in that, but they would certainly like to see partnership from the state, the county, the township, and the city when it comes to the infrastructure parts of it. And I think you, I think I heard you say this, Ben, or maybe I read it in your your piece. I think some some local columnist said something about bears playing in cold weather recently. I think. Oh
2: yeah.
0: Where you draw the line of of yeah. what is a public subsidy for public good? Yeah. When it comes to I don't know improving the roads up and down Northwest Highway there, versus something that really only serves the interest of a a privately owned football franchise. Yeah, that's where the the political games get played, and the influence and the clout gets thrown around. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think the, I don't think it's looking good for the city to hold on to this team at this point. But just from a football fan standpoint, the revenue that they're losing by not owning their own stadium is one of the most prevailing reasons that I think they have to do this. Whether it's in Arlington Heights or somewhere else, the deal that they got into in the early two thousands to rebuild the stadium was very short-sighted. It wasn't creative. It wasn't long-term thinking. The NFL has, I mean, even in 20 years, the NFL has exploded in terms of value of these franchises. So maybe it wasn't as obvious to them at the time, but you know, in some of these super stadiums, like in Los Angeles, that's recent. Um, But they, they, they hemmed themselves in to a deal that left them with continued to continue to have the smallest, number of seats every night, every Sunday, so that it constrains their revenue. And it's an uncomfortable fan experience for the people actually trying to go to the game. I know com- I've heard you riff on complaining about bathrooms, but the reality is like, you want to get back out and watch the game. I mean, it's yeah. not, <laughs> it's not that the lines are long. It's I'm here to watch. I don't want to spend 45 minutes just because I had yeah, a beer yeah. before the game, you know? But, so I don't no, know. I think no. something's going to happen. Uh, I don't think the city's proposals to keep them at a, at a public, or at a park district owned facility. Yeah. They need to resist allowing that to stay the status quo just for their own business purposes. But for the city's purposes, I guess Mayor Lightfoot's doing what she can in terms of public messaging, um, but she's not in a good position here.
2: No. Monroe, your thoughts?
0: Um, they're gone. If I owned the Bears,
3: I would go to Arlington. Uh, yeah. As a fan, um, Jim's right, access to the stadium is, is incredibly bad. I, I, I have uh, the few times I've been to an actual Bears game. I was, um, in, 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 one of those, um, units up high above, sky above boxes. the skyboxes the skybox. I was in one of those skyboxes, but even then when the game was over, trying to get out of there took forever.
2: Oh yeah. No, and, I, yeah, no.
3: I know that. I know yeah, that I've yeah, been to Bears yeah. games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the only thing, yeah. and I mentioned this last week where we were on, the only thing that, that I, the value I see of it is advertising for the city of Chicago. Cause a lot of people have no idea of what a beautiful city this is. And so you get these great skyline shots and everything. And that's a good thing. But, um, I, I, I don't I don't I don't see uh, I, the Bears staying with
2: us. You could get skyline shots before they cut away to the stadium. I uh, uh, I understand what both of you are saying is absolutely true. Uh, Soldier Field is so inconvenient, and uh, the Bears stand to make so much money from this deal. But I just want to tell uh, tell you guys, tell our listeners, I uh, I'm going to be getting in contact with one of the people leading the charge. Uh, against the subsidy in Arlington Heights. And it's a person of the far right persuasion. So it will be interesting uh, (laughs) rendezvous. Uh, And He's denouncing corporate welfare. Okay. Uh, So there is a movement to try to put it on a ballot uh, in Arlington Heights, which I presume the powers that be in Arlington Heights will fight because this smells uh, Jim Coogan and Monroe, like this deal has already been, uh, Essentially I, I, agree mean, too. I think
3: the, the, the good yeah. citizens of Arlington Heights will vote for. I do agree. I agree. Yeah, I be, agree. It will pass. The, yes. For one thing, the city That's is right. decaying. You know, I mean, it's not thriving. It's not growing at anything. So this could help them.
2: Well, I don't know if the city of Arlington Heights is... I'm going to push back there. It may, yeah. they, they have a vacant, a huge chunk of vacant land, the right. Arlington Heights uh, racetrack where I lost a lot of money back in the 70s. Let's just ignore that for the moment. <laughs> and uh, so uh, they have a huge chunk of vacant land that they don't know what to do with. Uh, yeah. And it will probably, one way or another... Uh, We talked about this yesterday. When you owe a bank $1,000, it's uh, your problem. When you owe a bank $10 million, it's the bank's problem. So Arlington Heights has a problem. They've got this track, racetrack that's been abandoned, and they don't want to just sit there idle. They don't know what to do with it. They're probably going to have to spend public money uh, to put it back into use. That's just a reality, I think, to a certain degree. So the issue is how much money they spend and what use so i am with you monroe i think the, the residents of arlington heights uh well because for. it
3: will give them it will give them a, a great deal of pride i mean, yeah, it will put arlington heights on the map and a, as we all know that um most suburbanites when they go any place else in the world say they're right. from chicago You know, nobody you got to go to Paris and say, I'm from Arlington Heights.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And that would be the case even if you moved the Bears there. You know what I mean? Uh, Paris, uh, they still it from Chicago. I will say this, the part that I get a kick out of, I must confess, even though I'm a lifelong Bear fan, Jim Coogan, almost uh, it's Bulls, Sox, Bears. And some bear, I know it's intense. My love for these franchises, it's well, really weird. I'm through with the Cubs, man. They used to be tied with the Sox for second, but I am so through with the Rickets <laughs> that I just don't get me started on the Cubs, okay? I, so,
3: so, so at last you, you too have become a fair weather fan.
2: Yes, I know I'm not a fan anymore. I'm not, they, they could win a World Series next year, and I will be not on the bandwagon. I'm, I don't know if I would watch the game. The sky. Guy is way ahead of the Cubs, okay?
0: Yeah. The Blackhawks are ahead of the Cubs, all right. See, that's uh, because you hold on to principles rather than tactics, Ben. You got you got a principled reason for this, you know. Yes. Look, it, give the man some credit. At least he tries to practice what he preaches. Yes,
2: yes. I should throw principles out the window, uh, but I will. I, <laughs> it's I, easier. I, I, I will say this: the the whole counter punch in Arlington Heights. Against subsidizing the Bears Stadium. Well, let's put the a squeeze on the Bears a bit. You get what I'm saying? Make them yeah, work a little right. bit for the handout. So I kind of, all right, go give them hell, guys. <laughs> Ultimately, you're going to lose, but give them hell, you know. Uh, make the Bears sweat a little bit or the Bears management. Yes, yes. So, all right, very good. Monroe Anderson, Jim Coogan, thank you very much. This has been a really great conversation. I can't wait to um, get it out to all our listeners. Uh, you can learn a lot by listening to these guys. Uh, and I cut it short too because I could have gone on for. I had a whole other list of questions here, but we'll. Uh, I know I got a feeling uh, Jim and Monroe special masters not going anywhere. We'll be talking about this for a while.
3: Right. We yeah. we 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 will. We'll be talking about it um, when he's indict, indicted indicted
2: <laughs> <laughs> and carted away to that underground interrogation cell with the
0: lights put in his eyes and. Don't worry. He he. Well, of any of all the things that he might forget, he will remember to say, "On advice of counsel, I invoke my <laughs> amendment to rights." He knows exactly. I say that. Exactly.
2: His favorite exactly. amendment.
0: Right. All right,
2: Monroe. Well, Jim-
3: wait, wait, before we go, Bill, one thing I, I don't yeah. know if this has come up or not, but the, the 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 there's a law about giving up these federal documents and what have you
2: yeah. that
3: Trump signed.
2: Oh. Yeah. I think you said that last week. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes.
3: And he signed it to get at Hillary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so irony reigns.
2: Oh my God. It's just utter hypocrisy. I mean, just, there's always hypocrisy when it comes to the selective uh, discussion of law and order, lock her up. Remember, you're just echoing in your own way, the lock her up refrain from 2016. Yeah. Uh, and that's so funny now they're saying he has due process alright right, Monroe Anderson thank you Jim Coogan thank you also want to thank the man the myth the legend the pride of joy of Alton, Illinois without whom this show would be possible as Jim and Monroe will tell you back home in Alton they call him Dr. D and the D stands for Marvellous. give yourself a raise take it out of petty cash see you tomorrow everybody